Welcome back to Humans of Purpose, the weekly podcast featuring conversations with local purpose-driven leaders, leaders creating social impact through their work and fostering in a new era of social progress. We want you to listen, connect, and grow with us. Learn more at humansofpurpose.com. We work with organizations who have a shared uh, vision for the type of Australia that we're both after. Um, And the benefit of that are that any business opportunities that come up on our partner side, they might lend it to us. Uh, An example of that um, is Home 2, which is located at University of Melbourne. Um, Having that uh, hospitality venture there uh, is an incredible partnership. Um, It benefits the students and the staff of um, the University of Melbourne. It's incredible for us and it's really incredible for our young people to be surrounded by other young people um, doing really interesting things. Those are the inspiring words of Levi Fernandez, co-founder and head of partnerships at Society Melbourne. Society Melbourne is a social enterprise with the vision of eliminating youth homelessness in Australia. Dedicated to this purpose, 100% of profits from four social enterprises, including Crepes for Change, The Coffee Cart, Home One and Home Two, go towards helping young people escape the homelessness cycle. A quick shout out to our Patreon family and we'll get right back to Levi. As you all know, I wouldn't be in a position to make this podcast each week without the support of our Patreon family. So a big thank you goes to our supporters, including Sue, Levi, Tanvi, Lucia, Judy, Jules, Sally, McCartan, Stuart, Joel, Misha Times 2, Bonnie, Olivia, Lyndon, Joe, B, and Will. Thank you so much again, guys, for your kind support. This amazing group helps me to shape the direction of the podcast through their ideas, advice, guest referrals, and ongoing feedback. If you too want to support the growth and uh, future sustainability of Humans of Purpose, I encourage you too to join our Patreon community. To support us, just hit the link in our show notes or head to patreon.com slash humans of purpose. So this week's episode is another feather in the cap of the great Will Beresford as the most decorated referrer into Humans of Purpose to date. He suggested Levi and given his tremendous strike rate, I concur that Levi would indeed be a great fit for the show. For long-time listeners of Humans of Purpose, you can go back to the episode with Dan Poole, who's another co-founder of Society Melbourne. In that episode, you can sort of listen to Dan playing with some ideas as they percolate and progress past their embryonic stage to real-world existence in today in Society Melbourne. I'm a massive fan of Dan and his approach to changing the world, and looking forward to completing the co-founder set by having Tanil on the show soon. So Levi, was a pleasure to hang out with. We recorded this episode in person just before social distancing came into strict effect in mid-March. So there's a cursory chit-chat of COVID, but uh, more on the nature of how to form good partnerships as a key thread running through Levi's career to date. We also talk about our newly discovered but recently paused mutual passion of bouldering and how things are going on the youth homelessness front too. So I hope you enjoy my conversation with Levi as much as I did. Levi, thank you so much for coming, mate. A couple of you rode your bike all the way over from Carlton North. <laughs> Thanks for having me, Mark. I'm very happy to be here. Look, when someone is introduced to me by Will Beresford, they are on the show. Uh, they get here however they can. <laughs> I'm just happy to be in their company. So I've heard a lot about you uh, previously from Dan, who was a guest on the podcast too, and your co-founder. Yep. Um, there's so much to say really about Society Melbourne and all the great things you're doing, but why don't you take us back in time a bit? Mm-hmm. Um and maybe tell tell me and your and our audience a bit about your own journey into the space, and um, then we'll start from there. Yeah, sure. Um, so I got to know Dan um, when Crepes for Change was Crepes for Change. Um, it was just the food truck. Um, I popped along as a volunteer um, to look at the impact side of things. Um, I had no idea what I was doing, but I was very happy to be alongside people like Dan and Tanil and a few of the others that were around there at the time. Um, and that was when it really all began for me. Um, funnily enough to take it maybe six months before then I was working at Coles, um, looking after the fresh fruit and vegetable section. And, um, uh, I was offered to transition from a casual work contract to part-time. And that meant I had to work a certain amount of hours a week. Um, and that truly terrified me. (laughs) And when I was offered that, I quit on the spot and quickly realized that I needed, uh, I'm sorry, Coles, it's way too much. I know. Um, You can't just come up to me and be like, I want this level of commitment. (laughs) I'm not ready. I know. And I, uh, I freaked out. I quit on the spot Mm. and, um, Later that afternoon, I realized, ah, I really need to get myself a job. 
And um, I called two friends and coincidentally, they both got me a job each. One was with a school holiday program. One with, was with a restaurant called Feast of Merit. I'm not sure if you're familiar oh, yeah. with it. Yeah, Ygap's old yeah, restaurant. Yeah, Ygap's yep. old restaurant. And um, I started there. And that was my first ever step into the social impact space, I think. Um, but hold on. I, I like the bit where you called only two friends and you had 100% success. Rate. I know. I was very lucky. And coincidentally, again, there were actually a couple. Wow. And so I, I lucked out big time. Um, and then uh, Feast of Merit, I was a, a waiter. Um, so that was interesting. Um, I'd done a bunch of stuff in the sort of hospitality space before, um, but I'd always really wanted to be a chef. Um, and so I asked the chefs there, hi, can I pop in, do some time as a kitchen hand or anything like that? Um, and they were really kind and let me sort of do that. Um, but unfortunately, the chef's life is not for me. It's very hard, very grueling. You don't seem volatile enough. No, no I don't <laughs> think so. And um, I don't like working nights. I'm a massive mm. baby. I'd like my good like nine, nine hour sleeps. Yeah. yeah. Um, and as I learned more and more about the social enterprise model that YGAP were operating with Feast of Merit, I got a little bit interested and asked if I could go upstairs to YGAP's offices and do an internship. Um, and throughout that, I learned about Craves for Change, who went through YGAP's accelerator program. Um, I got in contact with them, applied for a volunteer position, and that's how I came into contact with Dan and the Craves for Change team. So you've been really happy um, to sort of start from the bottom and work your way up learning about things as you go. Yeah, I think so. I mean, yeah. when you don't know very much, you have to start from the bottom. <laughs> yeah, but it's it's sort of like... I don't know. I like I like your attitude, and it sounds like you really embrace that learning too. And um, you know, a comment earlier that you made made me think you're someone who is happy to say when they don't know something, and that that's a really undervalued and actually it is becoming a really valued attribute now in the workforce. Yeah, I mean, I think I'm fortunate to have been born during a time like you sort of just mentioned that mm. it is valued a bit more. Um, I think if I was born maybe in the 60s, I would have had to have kept my mouth shut a bit more because yeah. it wasn't um, really... I can see you being like quite a good anti-authoritarian in the 60s. <laughs> like, you know, there's just the long hair kind of I thing. Think you know, so. like and that's pretty a free spirit. Yeah. yeah, and yeah. I think that's why I've held on to the long hair, the weird haircuts, yeah. um, the very casual dress, yeah. um, was because when I was going through school, I didn't see people like me doing things like this. I think the people that I was shown were very high academic achievers. Um, they were very cleanly dressed, very cleanly cut. And it made me feel like, ah, oh, I can't do that. Mm. I don't look like you. I don't feel like you. Um, and I really wanted to be a person, maybe just for one person to go, oh yeah, if he can do it, then I can definitely do it, right? Um, and so that's why the long hair stays, all the weirdness stays, everything like that. Yeah, and you got to just, I think, keep being you and like the authenticity of all that is, is, is really important. And, um, you know, not to digress too much, but the fact that you're a boulderer, uh, <laughs> just, just knocked my socks off too. We just spent half an hour probably discussing the ins and outs of bouldering, which was quite good fun. I know it's a really good icebreaker. Mm. I, um, I think every young person under the age of 40 right now mm. is doing bouldering. Yeah. And so we're definitely not unique, yeah. but it's very fun to meet a fellow boulder, especially someone who has started at a similar time. Yeah. yeah. Do you think, uh, why do you think it is now that everyone's on board? Um, it's a really good question. I think... Um, is it the Alex Honnold factor? That's a big one. I think it was really... Um, it's got a great aesthetic. Mm. The um, the dress, yep. the people sort of engage with Patagonia, really yep. cool, sustainable brands. People love the Patagonia. They do. It's they a do. good reason to actually pretend you're Boulder is just to wear Patagonia <laughs> around everywhere. Yeah. yeah. If, if you take um, Patagonia as a sign of Boulder, as there are tens of thousands, if not millions <laughs> yeah. of them in Australia. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, so that's definitely like a favourite um, pastime. And I think, you know, we, we talked, and maybe this is a good sort of place to mm. ask you a bit um, about about your work and, you know, your own mode of how you get the best out of yourself a bit. For me, what I got out of bouldering was that kind of ability to lock down, concentrate and, mm. and free myself a bit, free the mind and to – it's kind of like subconscious problem solving with your hands and your brain. Yeah, I think um, – and people come at the problems in very different ways. You, you see when you're there, there are people at the bottom who look at the entire um, beta to get really nerdy with the, uh, the terminology. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, 
and look at it and they'll, they'll plan it before they do it. And then I feel a little bit almost dyslexic yep. when I'm there because yep. I can't read the route that well. I have to do it, fail, You're not do like it, the fail. guy in a beautiful mind where you just see like <laughs> paths everywhere. Up, up yeah, the numbers first. just yeah, sort of float yeah. in my mind. No, yeah. I have to um, I have to go and try and fail, mm. try and fail, try and fail. And um, I think it's a pretty good representation of how I work as well is that I'm not a massive planner in the sense that I sit down, map everything out. Um, I really like to throw myself into it and it's inevitable that you're going to fail, right? Yeah. Um, and I think bouldering is a really safe place to learn that and to engage with it yeah. um, because worst case scenario, you just fall on your bum. Talk to me a bit about that relational approach and how else you've applied that sort of approach of just trying things um, and kind of what results you've had with that. Um, I think the best example is it has to be Society Melbourne, right? Mm. Um, launching a, a not-for-profit organization dedicated to tackling youth homelessness. Um, we were maybe 23 or 24 when we kicked things off there. And, you know, you don't know a lot when you're 23 <laughs> or 24. And um, we were just bound a number of times to fail, um, and that's what happened. Um, we've tried different approaches um, to running cafes, to anything like that. And um, I think um, <laughs> Cyril's having Cyril. a very good go. Get down. Get down. Um, yeah. So I think the with the failing stuff, you go, well, it's very cliched. And I think you read about it a lot when you're, uh, when you're on Facebook and LinkedIn, which is, you know, failure is just you're learning a way that doesn't work, right? Yeah. Um, and it doesn't actually matter that much. Um, and I think we have such, and the schooling system does it to us a lot, which is if you're not succeeding, then it's not good. Yep. Um, and you're not learning, you're not innovating. You just need to learn how to fit in the box, write memory, everything like that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, whereas I really value the ability for people to go, okay, let's try something. It might not work. If we do fail, it actually doesn't matter that much because now we know how we can do it a little bit better. Yep. And that's a really powerful, I think, mindset to take across any part of your life. Uh, and it just takes a little bit of practice. Failure scares a lot of people. It used to terrify me so much that I wouldn't even start mm. something. Mm. Um, and I think I take a lot of energy and um, trust in surrounding myself with really brilliant people. Uh, Dan, Tanil, the rest of the Society Melbourne team, my family, my partner, whoever it is. Yeah. They give me, I think, a lot of courage to just fail. Yep. Which I think is a really good thing. It's interesting. Like, I feel like you really hit the nail on the head with the encouragement to try things different ways is critical, but I do think we hit peak failure saturation probably like, you know, six months a year yeah. ago when everyone was like putting on events around how to like how good failing is. Yeah. Like yeah. it's not always great to fail. No. Like, let's be honest. No, and I think I um it can be pretty heartbreaking and business destroying. Yeah, it's horrible. When I say failure is no big deal, mm. I mean in the sense that it should never stop you from trying something, right? I don't look forward to failing every time I try something. I try and avoid it with everything that I can. Um, but I think... <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, go That's on. okay. That's okay. Um, and um, where were we? We're just talking a bit about failure and uh, the propensity of people to um, over-celebrate yes. failure. Yes. Yeah. I, I, I don't think um, the failure that I've experienced is uh, is something that I would host an event to share with people. Yeah, yeah. I think what I really like doing it is on a, on a real individual basis like this with you, yeah. um, with other social entrepreneurs or, or anyone who's just interested in um, trying something new. Yeah. Um, but I think there yeah, is a bit of a focus on celebrating it. Yeah, and, and I think it's just one of those things that, that will pass and inevitably kind of pass over time. But I think there's always quirks like that where you, you're kind of looking at uh, different sides of something and, yeah. and it can be over-celebrated. So. But you, you were saying um, earlier that you've had great success with your, your kind of mentality, which has been just reach out to people uh, if you don't know something or you want to make a connection yeah. and that's been quite successful. Yeah, and I think Will Beresford is a, mm. one of my favourite examples of that, which was at the Philanthropy Australia conference in 2018. Um, I literally bumped into Will, um, I think maybe at a snack time session or anything like that, and just struck up a conversation. Um, Will told me what he did. He told me who he was. I was so ignorant of what philanthropy is that I didn't actually get what he did. Mm. And I think it was in the weeks after the conference that I flicked Will a message just to say, hi, I have no idea what I'm doing. Mm. Could you give me half an hour of your time for me to ask you some very basic questions? Mm. Uh, and when I, mean, when I mean basic, I mean what is the most fundamental part of your job? Yep. 
and how do not-for-profits like Society Melbourne work with philanthropy? Mm. Um, and people like Will who, you know, have this sort of innate kindness to share their experience, their knowledge um, with people like me is incredibly beneficial because it allowed us to fail less um, because we could learn from the mistakes of previous people. Um, but it also, it also allowed us to feel like we had an ally. Yep. So now we have Will. Someone who's kind of like... Um Rooting for you. Yeah, someone who's in your corner so that if um, we're thinking about trying something new, I can flick Will a message and say, does this make sense to you? Uh, and it might make sense to Will, it might not. And we might take his sort of opinion into consideration or we might not. But it's nice to sort of surround ourselves with people who we know care about what we do yeah. uh, and have our best interests at heart. Yeah, I think it's massive. And to speak just a bit about, you know, going out and reaching out to people, it is one of the scariest challenges that I think people have and particularly young people who are a bit uncertain about how to do things but you framed that ask to will up uh, really well so the fact that you asked you wanted to ask him a few questions half an hour of his time like you mitigated every possible <laughs> risk that it could be a really long aimless yeah. one, one hour and a half coffee about the nature of philanthropy yeah. which I'm sure he would have gone into a cold sweat over. yeah I think so yeah. and little did you know I uh, have the capacity to turn a five-minute conversation into a two-hour <laughs> drawl and yeah. so I think we both escaped unscathed in that conversation <laughs> um but at the same conference i um i was at another lunch and i was standing there by myself and i like picture this me by myself in this big room mm. holding a plate full of cold food and i was looking around because i didn't want to eat by myself and um i spotted a man so i walked over and very humbly asked can i please eat my lunch with you that's amazing and um I got chatting to him, and when I mean I was very ignorant of the philanthropy space, uh, he introduced himself as the chair of a foundation, and at the time I didn't even really know what that meant. Yeah. Um, and we got speaking, and um, again I just asked him, I'm very, very new to this. Uh, I think you've been doing this for a long time. Um, and is there any opportunity for us in the future to catch up? So I can ask you a few questions. Very similar to the thing with Will. Uh, and he was really kind, and he gave me his card. And the next time we caught up, uh, he said to me, I've never given my car to someone before. And I was like, uh, then why did you give it to me? And he goes, um, you just looked like you needed a bit of help, <laughs> which is a very humbling, <laughs> humbling moment. But also it was, I really appreciate his honesty because I really did need his help. Yep. And to fast forward through the story to keep it a little bit interesting at least, mm. um, his name was Michael Barr. Mm. And the Barr Family Foundation? From the Barr Family Foundation. And mm. um, we ended up sort of connecting about their mission, which is um, supporting young people and children in Victoria. And, and I think what we were doing resonated a little bit with him. And For he sure. ended up inviting us to apply for some funding from the Bar Family Foundation. And um, it was what allowed us to t get to Neil to move into a full-time role. That's amazing. And so from a, it's just a really funny journey, I think, from a- That is an unbelievable, but, but that's why you're the partnerships manager. <laughs> that's just, what you do. You walk I mean, around with a plate of cold food and, and you make connections to chairs I know, just annoying people asking yeah. if I can eat my lunch with them. And I think um, that was what I wish I had known back then, which was there is no um, magical art to mm. it. It's just, I think, being um, yourself. There could and, be, uh, but you're just not aware of it because you, you, <laughs> you just encompass it so well. <laughs> I don't know about that. But I think it was just, um, it was really nice when um, when we ended up partnering with the Bar Family Foundation because it was it was such an organic um, connection. Mm. Um, just one man not wanting to eat his lunch by himself. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. and and. Do you, do you reckon Barr was um, happy eating his lunch by himself? I think he was. Yeah, I don't that. think he wanted to speak to me. <laughs> I don't think he even said, yes, please sit down with me. He just sort of nodded and I was like, great, that's uh, that's my invitation. So what do you do now? Because you've got a couple of very good relationships in the philanthropic space. You've received a bit of funding. Mm -hmm. Do you have uh, any advice around how maybe other charities would go about making their first approach to a, a philanthropic foundation? Um, I mean, I preface it with saying I don't feel any way uh, experienced enough to be giving this sort of advice, but I think only based on your experience. Yeah. And I think if uh, the way I like to always frame it is like, what would I like to have known yep. at sort of a similar position? And it was, um, I guess always go into something, not expecting anything. That's a really great mindset, I think, because yep. it allows you to bring your most authentic self. Um, because you're not trying to be someone else to try and get something else. Um, and I think, just speak to as many people as uh, as you can. Uh, these are really basic ones. But no, but they're, they're important and I think they're overlooked. If I just segue slightly, mm. I mean, is part of the reason you're good at your job because you love people and that's part of your nature? Yeah, I think so. I, we were speaking before about how when Society Melbourne started, we looked around the room, it was Dan, Tanil and I, 
And Dan is an entrepreneurial genius. Yeah. Uh, he sees opportunity where no one else does. Yeah. One of the cleverest guys I know. Yeah. Um, you've got Tanil, who is an operations mastermind who yeah. can create these incredible project plans that no one else can. Mm-hmm. And then it sort of came to me and we were all, I think, all su- quietly wondering, well, what the hell are you going to do? And um, <laughs> and it just ended up being that I do really like speaking to people. Yeah. And the way I sort of frame it now is I love uh, connecting socially minded individuals and organizations to our mission. Mm. And that doesn't always mean funding. Uh, it means something as simple as volunteering with us or just hearing a little bit about, about our journey uh, and about how we're supporting young people and how anyone in Australia can support a young person experiencing homelessness. And why are you so passionate about youth homelessness? What is it about that um, that kind of draws you in? Um, I think we were young people ourselves when we started this. And it, for me, it was born out of a real frustration uh, at the lack of support that young people who are at risk of or, or currently experiencing homelessness receive in Australia. Um, and these are my peers, people that I know, that I've worked with, that I've lived with, um, that I went to school with. And you kind of, when you're 21-ish years old and you're getting into this space, I felt a little bit like, powerless maybe is a a word to describe it where Mm. i look to authority to fix this problem for me um and when i found that authority and when i mean authority i suppose i mean government yeah um that they just weren't providing the right level of support in my opinion for for young people at risk of homelessness um we were kind of our hands were forced we we were made to create the type of outcomes we were looking for ourselves um and it still boggles my mind that the young people that uh, are involved in our impact programs um, are relying on a service provided to them by a bunch of 20-somethings. Well, that's uh, one way to look at it. The other way to look at it is it's very inspiring and you get them because you are them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's a, that's a very, like, I think yeah. uh, there's the silver lining and, and the sort of glass full um, mentality of it. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, it is uh, an interesting way to think about it. And I, I think there's a duality to that as well. So mm. it is it is kind of, I guess, surprising that you're the ones who are in that boat. It's also very uplifting. Mm. Uh, I think that a lot of the reason people get involved in social change missions that are meaningful to them is because the powerlessness of the situation often spurs them into action. Mm. So you see disadvantage, you feel powerless, and that's actually quite a significant motivator to action. Yeah. Was that sort of the feeling for you? Yeah, I think, um, you know, I was, I was listening to your podcast with um, Nick Pierce uh, on my way over here, mm. um, and I'd love to shout out. I'm a huge fan of Nick oh, and everything Homie the does. Second shout out to Nick in as many days. I know, I know. And, um, and, and, and to go back to what we were talking about before really quickly, Nick was someone else who we leaned on for support. Um, we still lean on support just to ask them, what are you guys doing? Does this make sense? So thank you so much, Nick, for everything you've done for us. Um, but I think in terms of, again, like looking at why we got into it, my eldest brother, Aaron, has autism and intellectual disability. And so by eldest, I mean, Aaron's 11 years older than me. Um, and growing up um, with Aaron, I think it forced me to develop a sense of uh, empathy, maybe, just because when you're young, you really are quite selfish and, and not in a negative way. Just you, you do sort of tend to think yeah. the world revolves around you. Yeah. Um, whereas I was forced from a very young age, I think, to go, oh, okay, there's someone else in my life who... I need to invest my energy and time into to make sure they're living a really great life. Um, and when that happens, I think you're also, your eyes are open to a lot of other people hmm. who need support, um, whether it's in your immediate life or on the periphery. Um, and I think that was a big fuel for me is when I had sort of grown up, I was 21 now, um, My I was looking up a bit more from outside my immediate family and, and, and my friends. And going, oh, okay, cool. I've seen the support that Aaron was given uh, by my mum and my dad. And I often sort of um, frame it as Aaron being both the luckiest and unluckiest person I know. And yeah. incredibly lucky to be born into the family that he was and the support that uh, mum in particular has given him. Um, but incredibly unlucky, unlucky to be born with his disabilities. Yep. Um, and it made me go, well, everyone should, everyone does deserve that support. Um, and it, doesn't make sense to me that there are tens of thousands of young people in Australia who aren't accessing or aren't being given the appropriate type of support um, for them to live really great lives. Yeah. And so it's a big problem. Do you, do you have kind of an idea of the size of the problem for yes, young people? Yes, we do. It's um, 
I think we've done all the research that we can into it. Um, it's an incredibly depressing research topic. Mm. Um, and we are definitely not experts on it at all. Um, but what we do understand a bit better now are what types of support the young people we work with need. Yep. Uh, from the start, we had sort of four pillars that we focused on mm. and everyone would kind of know them. It's employment, education, housing, and confidence. Mm -hmm. uh, recently, we added a fifth, which is community. Um, and arguably, I would say community is the most important out of the five pillars. Mm. Um, I think they're really interesting pillars to choose, actually. Yeah. Um, are, are they evidence-based? Is it yeah. sort of based on your research? Evidence-based, also yeah. informed yeah. by our beneficiaries, which is the, the biggest one from the start. Uh, yeah. I think when we started, we all put our hands up to say, we're not experts. Yeah. What we're okay at are running profitable, sustainable social enterprises. Yeah. Um, we want to learn more about the youth homelessness service space. Yes. Um, and the way we did that was by talking to service partners of ours, like Launch Housing. Melbourne I was going to say, and, so is that part of the reason that, you know, you've decided to do a partnership with Launch Housing because you see that as an important part of the, getting the model right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I think if, if, if we're stepping into this as um, as 22, 23-year-olds uh, and we're trying our best and we have great intentions, that doesn't prevent us from actually causing harm. And one of the ways we wanted to mitigate that was to partner with incredible service partners, mm. Launch Housing, Melbourne City Mission, so they can provide that holistic model of support for our young people. Mm. Um, and so that if anything happens, we can lean on them for their experience, for their knowledge, for their understanding of the problem we're trying to tackle um, and, and trying to avoid ever creating harm. Because I think it's something that people don't think about very much in the or social impact space, which is you can actually create harm even oh, if yeah. you're trying to do good things. Yeah. Um, and that was open. My eyes were open to that by Katie Mitchell, who was a volunteer of ours, who said, let's not pretend that just because we're doing something good that we can't do harm. Uh, and that's why launch, launch Housing and Melbourne City Mission play such an integral role with us. That's very interesting because um, you usually hear the do no harm stuff in the medical setting, but, <laughs> but applied to what you do, I sort of hadn't thought of that in that the social enterprise space. Um, so social enterprise, an uh, interesting model, tough model to get right. What have been some of the challenges and opportunities there? Um, yeah, I think social enterprise, definitely a, a, a tricky model, incredibly uh, rewarding when you get it right. Um, I don't think we have quite got it right just yet in the sense that uh, I don't see Society Melbourne as a success, I guess, just yet. I see it as doing good work, um, but we do have a lot of work, I think, left to do. Um, particularly we, we've chosen, um, to run hospitality social enterprises, which, um, hospitality as a general industry is, is pretty tricky. Um, what we've got on our side is a pretty interesting mission, I think, that yeah. bring a lot of our customers in. And then I hope our good coffee and our good food keeps them coming back. Um, and another thing that we sort of have on our side now is that people are gaining a bit better of an understanding of what social enterprise is and how they can engage with it. Um, knowing that their morning coffee genuinely makes a really big difference in the lives of young mm. people that we support. What are you doing around the um, the, the, the temporary <laughs> suspension of keep cuffs and, uh, and Frank Green <laughs> cuffs? Are you dealing with that? Um, well, we went from, it's really sad, we have a really big sustainability model yep. as a part of our business. And um, the first step we took was um, we weren't touching the lids mm -hmm. of the keep cups um, and we were asking customers, please bring them to us relatively clean. Yep. Um, and then we were following the um, in the footsteps of some other industry leaders when we had to end up refusing them because whilst it's not a great result for the yeah. environment, um, in the short term, I think it makes sense. Yeah, I agree. And, and I think we shouldn't be too kind of down on, no. on that. I mean... The, those reusable cups do make a significant difference. Um, they're not a panacea for, for everything, but I think they're important. And just about everything that's business as usual has been a bit halted. Yeah, uh, at the yeah. Moment. It's a bit funny, isn't we, it? We committed to each other before the podcast, not to get into the murky COVID-19 <laughs> waters, but um, I, I, I did want to ask you actually about um, the impact that that's having on youth homelessness and is it a compounding factor or? Yeah, well, Obviously, at the moment, um, without going into too much, we're being sort of advised to self-isolate from, from the government, from different places. Um, and that's kind of easy to do for you and I, right? Mm. Like we're in this beautiful home right now at your place, um, back at my house, you know, my dog's there, I've got a bed, I'm okay. So it's quite comfortable to self-isolate. Um, and if you're crashing in your car, crashing on a mate's couch or sleeping rough, it can be incredibly hard. And yeah. you're obviously at a much higher risk of uh, contracting yeah. coronavirus or COVID-19. Um, so young people experiencing homelessness or anyone who is experiencing homelessness really are at a much higher risk. Yeah, that's, that's really well and succinctly put. So 
I, I think another thing to sort of come out of Corona, which which maybe I don't know if it's something to muse upon or to, to worry about mm. or just to consider, is the self isolation is reducing social contact. That is mm. really important for people to be their best selves, yeah. uh, both in their personal and work life. Is that something that you sort of felt? Or, yeah, totally. Yeah. I think um, I'm not sure if you've ever done any personality testing mm. before. And when I've done mine, I think I ranked 96% extroverted. Yeah, I did it. I failed. So <laughs> they just asked me to leave. It was a weird experience. <laughs> yeah. And so I think for me, when I did it, and it's a bit comical when you come out as 96% extroverted. Is that So that's what you came out. Yeah. And you just, you know, you kind of look at it. And I think I did it with um, Tanil, my co-founder. What did Tanil get? Uh, Tanil sort of in the mid range. Shout out to Tanil, who's a listener uh, of, of Humans of Purpose Weekly. Yes, she's a very avid listener. Great to have you with us, Tanil. <laughs> and um, and I think for me, you're looking at it. So the way I see, like, sort of being an extrovert is I get my energy from being around other people. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and that, that's a conventional. Yeah, of, yeah, yeah. I think so. And um, I, and that's not to say that I don't enjoy my own time, but mm. most of my energy would come from being around my partner, my family, my yeah. friends, my colleagues. I think your story is. about um, having lunch with. Michael Bass, yeah, like the extrovert thing quite well. Not wanting to eat my lunch for <laughs> yeah, myself, yeah. yeah. I think I capture that very well. Yeah. Um, and so now that we're working from home, I'm a bit lucky in the sense that Tanil is my housemate yeah. as well. Um, so she's working from home. Georgia, my partner, is also working from home. And most importantly, arguably, my dog is also working from home. I imagine you guys to be living like this breakfast club sort of lifestyle, like, you know, like <laughs> empty detentions. And I wish. Setting, like, you know, you're all hanging out, sort of <laughs> chatting and all a bit mischievous. Yeah, it's more like <laughs> if I wanted to take a half an hour break uh, and watch a bit of YouTube or something like that, I've actually got Tanil right next to me watching my every move. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> um, so at the moment, yeah, it's definitely interesting. I'm hitting the wall at about 3 o'clock every day where mm-hmm. I need to get out and go for a run, go for a ride, whatever it is, go for a bit of bouldering. Yep. Um, and that really helps me, I think, yeah. kind of um, – realign myself and not get so scattered. Yeah. Uh, particularly when, like we are talking about before, if a big part of my job is speaking to people and yeah. uh, at the moment people aren't that willing or excited to take a meeting with me. You well, you've to got to, um, I think in all jobs, you have to practice what your core skills are to mm. stay good and stay fresh at it and, you know, retain the pace of growth. So for you, you're in the, you're in the business really of forming relationships. Yeah, and so I um I just regurgitate society Melbourne should be able to sit in <laughs> and Georgia every day until they tell me to shut up. I very much doubt that. I reckon I reckon you would just go up to people and just hi, I'm it's, Levi. It's very embarrassing. Uh, Georgia and I, when we take Ubu, my dog, to the park, I think every now and then Georgia just wants to have a bit of a walk, have a bit of a chat, and if we ended up speaking to anyone about their dog, inevitably I think we end up at society Melbourne, and it's uh I think Georgia ended up now just sort of walking away and letting yep. me do my thing. Yeah. Um, it's uh. I don't think it's a bad thing. It's not a good thing. So is she um, kind of like more of an introvert than you are? Uh, yeah, definitely more introverted. Mm. Um, but I think, again, was more on the extroverted side. Yeah. Um, but, I, you know, the big difference between Georgia and I, I think, is if we've both had a tough day at work or something like that, Georgia would love to come home, maybe chuck on a movie, relax. Yeah. Whereas I really like speaking about my day with yeah. Tanil, with Georgia, whoever it is, and that kind of brings my energy back up. <laughs> it's hilarious. Yeah. It's like I'm just thinking about my own relationship and like the roles reversed. Oh, really? <laughs> I'm like, let's watch a movie. <laughs> I wouldn't talk. Yeah. I think for me, yeah. it, it helps me just – um. Uh, think yeah. like I, I think one of the ways I learn is by talking yeah. and, and listening to other people not not so much sort of um, reading books or, or studying or anything like that and so that's my way of like unpacking and mm. it's a bit of self-therapy yeah I mean it's very interesting but you've obviously got a way of speaking that's very unique to you and has served you really well um, in, in your space did you like um, learn that from anywhere it's sort of your natural um, if you <laughs> If you ever met my dad, I think you would say oh, really? you and I are very similar. This is something that I've been told more and more over the last four years. Yeah. Uh, when people meet my dad, they go, oh, my goodness, yeah. you guys are identical. Yeah. Uh, in our, apparently in our mannerisms, in the way we speak, yeah. uh, apparently in our energy as yeah. well. Yeah. Um, and so at the start, I was, you know, as a, as a young person, you go, you know, I, I'm not like my parents. I'm an independent yeah. individual. I'm very unique. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and then you think to yourself, <laughs> actually, I am a lot like both my parents. Yeah. And um, to be honest, there could be, there's much worse people I could be like. So I'm very happy to be like them. I think you're in a good position if you're happy with the fact that you're like some <laughs> semblance of your parents. That, no. that's, that's a good sign. 
When you're doing partnerships for Society Melbourne, what kind of partnerships are you interested in at the moment and what kind of partnerships are you sort of looking for? Um, I think the way that I always looked at it from the very start um, was that we, and I've already said this, I guess, earlier, earlier in the podcast, which is we weren't experts. And so when we went out talking to people, um, it was really just to get their thoughts and what we were doing for that to inform our model a little bit better. Um, now when we go out, we're really looking for a, a small handful of things. One are people's insights into what we're doing. Do they see things that we don't see? Um, do they want to get involved? Uh, I, I think every single thing that we have achieved as an organization have been on the shoulders of the people in our community. It would be very arrogant, I think, and naive to think that anything we've achieved has been because of Dan, Tanil, or I. It's really been our volunteers. Yeah. Not even volu- just volunteers, but anyone who's come into contact with us and lent five minutes. I, I'm speaking a bit more in a practical sense, though, but would you like um, sort of be thinking, hey, I'm looking for a business that is also interested in youth homelessness. How will I make that connection? Right. Okay. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Is that something you would do in your Yeah, I think so. You know, we work with organizations who have a shared uh, vision for the type of Australia that we're both after. Yeah. Um, And the benefit of that are that any business opportunities that come up on our partner side, they might lend it to us. Uh, An example of that um, is Home 2, which is located at University of Melbourne. Mm. Um, Having that uh, hospitality venture there uh, is an incredible partnership. Um, It benefits the students and the staff of um, the University of Melbourne. It's incredible for us and it's really incredible for our young people to be surrounded by other young people um, doing really interesting things. Uni is such an obvious alignment. Mm. But I also see like... Are you looking to be in these um, big employers of people's lobbies, like in the city? So there's a lot of buildings in the city, for example, uh, you know, have grad programs and whatnot. Do you want to be there? Um, yeah, maybe. We're definitely open to yeah, those sort of things. more like campusy at the moment. Yeah. We, we've developed this, uh, I think it's interesting, this sort of interesting model in that um, it's a little big. So the input that it takes to run our social enterprises is relatively low compared to the output that they create. Um, and so I think, you know, in terms of other partners looking at 55 Collins Street is something we're looking at later this year, which will be an incredible opportunity. The, the reason why I think it's going to be incredible is it's going to drive really great revenue that we can invest into our impact model. Mm-hmm. Um, but arguably more important than that is the network we're going to be connected to. So in that building, you've got ANZ workers, Salesforce workers, people who, um, whose jobs it, are, it is to solve pretty complex problems mm. who earn great wages and who probably care about what well, we're that's, doing. That's your engaged sweet spot, isn't it? Yeah. And yeah. so we really want to connect with all those people, not just to um, generate donations, but really to connect them to the cause and, and make them feel like they can make a real difference. Because it's something I see in a lot of my friends is all of them care quite a lot, mm. um, but they sometimes not sure where exactly to start. Oh, well, it's hard. I mean, I think that's a really hard thing, figuring out how do you actually contribute to mm. solving um, the problems that you're engaged in. And that's actually a really good Will Beresford topic because, you know, we talked a bit about that yeah. and he talks a bit about that openly. And um, it's something I very much enjoy talking about is do you – there are so many things. And I think the truth is that most people are fairly reactive helpers. So, you know, you get an email saying, oh, so-and-so – thousands of people on the street this year yeah. donate now yeah. oh all right i'll give 20 bucks yeah you giving 20 bucks once does nothing yeah so it's like what are the ways that people can in a sustained manner help high impact charities um or social enterprises make a relevant change i think the uh number one thing you can do is what's your what's your skill set um, and what are your assets that you can lend mm. um the, the big ones that people have given to us, and, and I look at our advisory council or our advisory board um, and the people we have on that are all people who fill really uh, important gaps in, in our business. Um, so we've got uh, Miles Munro, who runs like a variety of hospitality ventures in, in across Melbourne, across Australia, actually. And he lends us really important hospitality skills. Um, we've got someone like Chris Mills who lends us the impact. Uh, so many years experience working with young people experiencing homelessness. Um, people like Judy Hargrave, who's done so much in law and they can lend her expertise to us. People like Victoria Cosgrove, who's an incredible fundraiser. So we've got and more people on the board as well who are lending us their skills and their knowledge. And they're going to have a far greater impact, right, than anyone who's dropping in $20 once. Yes, significantly 
higher impacts. And because it's a networked model as well, I mean, getting the skills right on a board, but also the the web of contacts is extremely important. Yeah. Has that been a journey for you or that's something? That's, yeah, it's uh, been a really natural journey. Like, yeah. I, like to, to refer back to our board, we've got six people on it. Um, Judy, Paul, Chris, Miles, Vic, and Karen. And all six of those people are just uh, serendipitously – um, come into our lives uh, at different points, uh, at, at very different points, in fact. Chris Mills has been there from the very start. And these are just people who were sort of interested in what we we're doing. We got chatting to them and we connected relatively well mm-hmm. with them uh, and we shared our journey with them. Um, and so, yeah, we've, we, we've developed this incredible community of people outside of our board who have um, lent their expertise, their time, uh, their energy to us. And it's just made such a big difference. So I guess now is a great time to say thank you to everyone who's been involved with us at yeah. any point because everything we have achieved is, is because of you guys. That's amazing. When you think about the skills that you have on the board and now you've got, you know, a team of three staff as well, um, what, what skills are missing for you from that team and what would you like to, you know, ideally have in there yeah. with, with you? Well, Tanil and I were working the other day on what's our dream in three years, mm-hmm. who, who are we employing, or over the next three years, I should say, who are we employing, um, how much is it going to cost, all the nitty-gritty of it all, which yeah. is slightly terrifying oh, but yeah. good to plan. Yeah. Um, and I think at the moment we're really missing uh, on the team someone who understands hospitality 10 out of 10. Yeah. Um, who it's, it's their bread and butter, they live and breathe it, uh, and that can lend their expertise to across all of our businesses. Yeah. We've sort of addressed that with Miles on our board. Uh, but in terms of our full time behind the scenes team, we're really looking for that people in operations uh, and marketing. Cause I think we've tended to neglect the marketing of society Melbourne. Um, maybe I had a little bit of an arrogance of, well, our mission is really interesting. So people will just kind of connect with it, but mm. it's a pretty saturated market outside mm. of social enterprise. Yeah. And so we're now starting to realize, okay, it's something we need to invest in. Yeah. Well said. How many new people do you meet each week and do you reach out to? I mean, it might have been different now that we're in the COVID times. Yeah, but well, the answer this week is not many. Yeah. Uh, but on the standard week, I'm not sure on numbers. I think it's um, it's I, I, I try to take more of an organic approach, yep. which is um, I meet with people pretty regularly. So there's similar people. There's a guy, Josh Ackman, who I catch up with every week pretty much for a walk. Um, and it's really for me to unload everything in my mind to him. He does the same thing to me. And we kind of give each other just a little bit of feedback on what's going on. Um, And I think that's the way I like to do it is meeting people pretty organically. There's definitely people I reach out to across LinkedIn or over an email. Um, someone I've been wanting to get in contact with is the, uh, the co-founders of Lord of the Fries. It's, it's currently a tab on my phone that I've had open for about four <laughs> months uh, that I really want to get in contact with because I, I love their model. Yeah. Uh, I, um, I'm vegan and so I yeah. really admire everything they're doing. And um, the way they've scaled I think is really interesting too. And so it's been open on my phone for a few months. And so that's someone who inevitably I'll have to contact probably across LinkedIn in to say hi <laughs> really dorkily <laughs> hi um can we please catch up <laughs> yeah i think it's become I, I don't mind the old linkedin hello yeah um as long as it's not a consultant they're, they're painful <laughs> but the rest of, of them are not too bad um yes so um what was the next thing in my mind i had yeah so so you mentioned also before that you're you're actually off social media uh, yes. altogether yes. on linkedin is that new um relatively new i suppose well you and i are both off social media and we're both bolder so i know i know it's a match made in heaven <laughs> it is yeah um it, it came in stages for me um i think instagram was the first to go um i realized i wasn't getting a lot out of it and actually i think it was not making me feel very good about myself yeah um and then Facebook was similar in the sense that I started removing people from my Facebook who I didn't know very well. And eventually I got to the point where I thought- so I'm It not- takes too long, right? Yeah. and It's I'm- an awkward cull situation. And then I'm, I was always a bit paranoid I'd run into someone. <laughs> that I but, but oh, great to see you. I'll yeah. you on Facebook. We should connect. Yeah. <laughs> or Pete, yeah. And, um, and then I, again, I, I sort of thought, is this adding any value? And yeah. then I actually don't think it, I think it was just taking energy yeah. from me. Taking time. Yeah. Mental bandwidth. Yeah. Um, I completely relate to what you're saying. And my experience has been that decluttering all of that and getting rid of basically everything but LinkedIn. Because, I mean, LinkedIn, people can hang shit on it as much as they like, but it serves a clear purpose. Yeah. It's the it's probably the only social media tool in that range of tools that um, you, can, you can kind of put your time into it and it's for a clear purpose. Yeah. 
And I think um, for me, it actually makes me feel better about myself yeah, yeah. Um, because I get to share um, our successes, our fails from at Society Melbourne with that fear of boring people. Yep. Um, because that's what they're there for. Yeah, you know, they they want to hear that. They've signed up like, for here's it. here's the place to talk about your career and your business. Yeah, exactly. And everyone's doing the same thing. Whereas my fear yeah. of doing that with my friends is that they're going to go, shut up, yeah, we yeah. don't care. <laughs> <laughs> and so I have this, um, at least like, you know, my friends on LinkedIn, they can go, I've signed up for this. So I'm ready to Are they your it. friends or are they your colleagues? Yeah, it's a good your question. It's a good, yeah. and, I, and I love the, um, it's sort of a side note, but I love the transition we all go through from coworker to friend. Yeah. It's almost like dating in the yeah. sense that when you ask them for the first time, can we catch up yeah. outside work? Yeah. Or like you try and say, oh, do you want to catch up for a coffee to go over this? But what you really mean is you want the coffee <laughs> yeah. part? So, yeah. It's so Super good. Super interesting transition. And like Chris Mills, who we used to work at Launch Housing, he was yeah. our first ever contact there. Yeah. He's been through the entire journey with us. And he's someone who we've taken our relationship sort of, I guess what you call offline or mm. outside work where mm. we've gone bouldering together. We, we hang out and sort of just chat. I should and, talk to you about like how do you make that transition from like <laughs> occasional colleagues or know. you know ships ships passing in the night to boulder buddies. <laughs> That's big. It is big. Yeah, friends friends who boulder together stay together. I, I know. Would, I, would I know. It's yeah. it's seriously like dating. Yeah. You're sort of a bit nervous about oh, who's going to ask the other yeah. one first. What if they say no? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you don't. I mean, you don't strike me as somebody who has that inherent. You're not thinking about rejection the way you roll. Much. No, no, I, I can't imagine I really would. But, but I think, and I think that's just because I'm really fortunate that the people that I'm sort of surrounded with are very, very kind. And even if they did want to uh, tell me to bugger off, they probably wouldn't. It's <laughs> awesome. Um, do you ever fantasize about like what other social enterprises you would get into? Because I know um, Dan's in about six thousand. Yeah, he is. Uh, He's but, a busy boy. But for you and the portfolio in, in society, Melbourne, like, do you ever think, oh? I'd love to get into hot dogs or like, I don't know um, what it would be. But. Yeah. Well, I, I thought to myself a couple of times and, um, and then poor Tanil has to co- uh, deal with my like silly ideas that sort of come out of my, come out of my head. Yeah. Um, one of them is, um, I, I would love to open up. I, I don't do yoga. Um, my, my partner do, does, uh, a lot of people I know do yoga and they really enjoy it. And I'd love to open up a social enterprise yoga studio. Yeah. Um, it's something that I think would, um, work really well in Melbourne. Yeah. Um, and the impact that you could create through it would mm. be uh, really sustainable uh, and quite deep. Mm. Um, and the other one is just leveraging the the model that we've created at Society Melbourne for other causes. Mm. Um, so I was speaking to AYCC last year, the Australian Youth, Youth Climate, Climate Coalition. Council. Uh, Council. Yeah, whichever Whatever, it is. Whichever. Yeah. And um, said, look, I've created these things at Society Melbourne um, do you want to have a look at the model? Because I think it'd be a really interesting way of you guys generating some diverse revenue. Um, and I think stuff like that, I'm really interested in environmentalism and things like it's that. It's very cool that you thought to do that. Yeah. Well, I just think they're not really a competitor. And even if they were, like, it doesn't, like, there's plenty of sort of business to go for everyone. Um, and I, part of it was really selfish. I was going, I am really interested in um, sort of environmentalism. And I was maybe feeling a little bit frustrated that I wasn't living that out the way I'd love to through my work. Mm. And I thought of that as a way of, okay, cool. I can actually invest X amount of time and energy into this project with yeah. whatever environmental organization. Yeah. And that would fulfill a part of me. So it was um, definitely a little bit selfish, I think, to go, um, I, I want to do a little bit more for the environment um, and just sort of uh, leverage the model we've already mm. created at Society Melbourne. Mm. On climate change, I heard a really interesting podcast today and a fact from it. It was a Freakonomics podcast. Yep. And in that podcast, they mentioned one of the bizarre externalities of the of the um, COVID situation is that a huge amount of factories, uh, their industrial factories in rural China have closed. Mm. And so the, the skies cleared up around China for one of the first times in months. <laughs> and they that, that one of the economists on the show did a bit of an, an analysis and says that the reduction in in smog, um, or as a result of the COVID measures, will save something like fifty thousand lives uh, wow. over the, over the next year in China, whereas the uh, um, COVID will kill something like a couple of thousand. So it's super interesting. It's super it really interesting. got me thinking. Well, you're um, looking at it from like a net impact point of yeah, view, right? Sitting about net impact when you're thinking about how is it 
that self-containment measures like these that cripple economies um, can also save a lot of lives because those economies are just destroying the, the environment so badly. Yeah, yeah, it is super interesting. Yeah, yeah, so interesting times. Well, this has been a hell of a conversation. I've loved having you here. Yeah, it's um, been awesome having, being here, and thank yeah, you so much for the opportunity. A pleasure. So what, why don't we end on... If you tell me, uh, you, you talked about being excited about 55 columns or sort mm-hmm. of uh, something. Is there anything else on the horizon you want to flag or um, points of excitement, calls to action? Points of excitement. Uh, I think we're on a really exciting path at the mm. moment. And, and the model that we've created, I think, has great potential for scale. And we've already sort of started scaling that. So we're launching another social enterprise at Chisholm, which is the TAFE Institute in Ooh, Frankston. Yeah, I'm at Chisholm. Which would be really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and then obviously 55 Collins Street, like I mentioned, um, and then it's looking at, okay, how do we scale this model across almost every university in Victoria to start yep. with, right? Because we know that the value that we add to the campus community is pretty considerable. Yeah. And the um, impact that we have on the lives of our young people is also pretty great. Um, so it's a win-win for everyone. Um, and we really want to start that conversation with, so we're already at RMIT in the University of Melbourne. We want to start speaking to Monash, Latrobe, Deakin, all the other universities in Melbourne or Victoria, um, and also speaking to corporates in the city and going, do you think you could benefit from having a social enterprise coffee cart at the bottom of your building? Mm. Um, your staff will really enjoy it. It's a part of it's an like, impact that's embedded into your business model now. Yeah. Um, so that's where I really see a lot of excitement for us. Mm-hmm. I'm really looking forward to that part of it. Um, but really, uh, I talk about this. I probably annoy to not talking about it so much, but uh, it's this really interesting um, point of time for us where we finally transition from volunteer to full time. And I get to wake up every day working with one of my best friends and co-founders. Uh, another great friend of mine is our program manager and all of our staff are just such brilliant people that I'm sort of pinching myself every day to make sure I'm really present and enjoying it for what it is. Because as we do grow, and I think um, it's looking like we will, it's not going to be like this forever. Yeah. And so I think instead of getting too far in the future, I'm trying to stay very excited about now because it's just quite quite fun. Awesome. What a great way to cap off. So if people want to connect with you and learn more about your work, uh, where should they go? Um, definitely not to my Facebook or Instagram. <laughs> um, our website's a really good place for that, society.melbourne. Um, and also we've got all of our Instagram and stuff for all of our cafes and coffee carts and food trucks. So crepes for change, home one, home two, blah, blah, blah. Um, but also like, feel free to message me on LinkedIn. I'm obviously, especially if you're a consultant, do you <laughs> he's looking for some professional <laughs> services advice. And obviously it's a quite a small not-for-profit organization. We've got a big budget for yeah, it. Yeah. <laughs> massive, massive. This is a big fish right here. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, 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 so many people have given me their time and their energy that I'm very happy to sort of give it to whoever else needs it. Mate, you're a champion. Great chatting. Cool. Thanks, Mike. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you hit the subscribe button in your podcast player or the link in today's episode notes. Why not share the podcast with your networks? After all, 62% of our subscribers come from word of mouth recommendations and social shares. You could also leave us a five-star review and some kind words in the iTunes store. If you love what we do each week and want to support the show, you should join our growing community of Patreon supporters or consider becoming a show sponsor. To learn more about all of that, just head to humansofpurpose.com.